Luke 6.38 says what? Give, and it will be given unto you. How? Good measure, press down, shake it together. Stop right there. Stop right there. This is stop right there. All you did was give. What comes back? Good measure, press down, shake it together. There's your number three. So you know God's in your giving, right? So all you got to do in the kingdom is recognize. And by the way, verse one of chapter six says, blessed are the poor. For theirs is the kingdom. Now, why would God give the poor the kingdom? So they could change the way they live. It's simple and plain. He gave them the kingdom. He gave the other ones other things. But he gave the poor the kingdom of God. Because the economic disparity is, the, the gap is bridged instantly when you know how to receive from him. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have 15 years working in this. You don't have to be an expert in that. You don't have to know what the market does in this, that, or the other. All you need is the understanding that the whole kingdom has been given to you. Yes, sir. When you get that, then you got to learn how to navigate it. Amen. Yes, sir. You do have some things you got to learn now. Yes, sir. You never stop learning. Amen. You always are growing. There never becomes a time when you know so much nobody can impart into you. When you get to that point, you got religious and the kingdom cannot reveal its riches. So, how did I get over there? Where was I? Luke 638. Give and it shall be given unto you. How? Good measure. There you go. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. Will men... This is interesting. Will be put into your bosom. That's interesting. Minister Paul, real quick for the sake of it, see if the King James says something different. Because I've always said men given into your bosom, but this said shall be put. That's a subtle difference, but it's pretty huge and if, you, if you get the origin of what that's being saying. So let's just deal with that for a minute. What's been dropped in your lap? I think, uh, what's his name? What's his brother's name? Samuel Jackson. What's in your wallet? No. What's in your lap? What has been put before you that's so obvious that you keep missing it? Because you don't think you are worthy. For the same measure. Yeah, it says that. Shall men. Okay. So this is the, this is the true essence of it. It's not in italics, right? So, it's, so what he's saying is people. The other one gives it sort of like heaven's going to drop it in. Heaven drops stuff into people. And then people drop stuff on you. And then because you're wise, you start dropping stuff on people. Because you're blessed to be a blessing. You're not blessed just to hold on to it. That's what the guy said. I think I'm so blessed I'm going to build new barns. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And then the king came to him. The word came. Fool called him. Your soul is required of you this day. So while you're building your agenda and not adhering to mine, your soul is required of me and everything you built is going to be given to somebody else. So here it's saying with the same measure that you meet. Now, this is where your faith levels come in. Okay. Your faith level is very interesting, Lord. Your faith level. I'm sorry. I'm just having a double conversation because I honestly thought Luke 638. I knew it was the Lord, but I, had, I didn't connect it to anything. And just to show you all the humanity factor of it so that you won't think I just walk on water because I really don't. I swim and I sit there. But a lot of times I take God at his word. 
when he says he's able to do bigger things than you can do. And that's why I have to write these dreams down because they're bigger than me. And you have to do the same. If God's taking the time to talk to you, take the time to learn the language. Stop talking about pizza dreams and all that stuff. That, that's because you got a pizza mindset. And since you don't understand the higher things of God because you don't want to, not because you can't, because you don't want to, then don't make everybody out to be crazy because you don't understand a language that they took the time to learn. That's why I told Dr. Sewell, I'm like, are you and Sharon going out of the country or something? I mean, they were in the dream headed to Europe for 10 days. And I'm like, really, dog? Really? And that's what he said. I'm like, okay, great. That's right. That's right. You did say that. And then they said, well, we got another 14 day. We're coming. I'm like, really? You got 14 days and 10, that's 24 days. I don't know what it means. Pray and see. Maybe you're about to come into some, a big, a bigger windfall and there you go. Receive it. Amen. Amen. That's how you do it. So in this context, it says give and and what's going to happen. Three different measures is coming back to you. Give, that's how the kingdom works. Give and it will be given unto you. How? Good measure. Now, why would it have to be pressed down? To make room for more. That's how God operates. He's not giving you just enough blessings. You might be enjoying a just enough life, but he's not giving out just enough blessings. Okay? It's going to be given good measure. That's already telling you you didn't get a little bit of crumbs at the bottom of the cookie jar. You already got a bunch of cookies in the jar. He's going to crush them. It won't matter how it looks. It matters how it tastes. Then he's going to put more inside, which is your press down. Then he's going to shake it together, make more room, so that the crevices receive the benefit so that you can get more. So the level to which the Lord wants to bless you, you must let him. You must let him. You got to let him. He won't force you. And I'm going to tell you this. Please get this. He will not make you take it. That whole bosom piece was back then men wore long uh, like dresses, aprons. They, they just, it was like a robe. And so they would gather up what they would call the, 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 the garment around the loins. And they tie them up like this so the legs are exposed and they put it here, and that's kind of how they girded it up. Okay, like a girdle, but it wasn't for tightness. It was just so they could run faster. Then what they would do when they're ready to receive is they pull it up and extend it out. That's considered the bosom. So the goal was if you're going to the meat market or the uh, fish market or wherever you're going for fruit, you wanted to gather as much as you could because you got to c- carry this home. The amount you can carry is the amount you can benefit from. So if, if you don't carry a lot, you can't benefit from a lot. It just depends on how much you want to carry. It says here, the measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured unto you. Let's go back to the, oh, that's 1900. Let's go back to the uh, New King James Version. So the measure of your expectation is important to the amount of the measure God can bring. In Dallas, which I think is also here in Atlanta, and I clearly lived it myself that day and maybe other days too, we kind of put ourselves down and put ourselves back. And we think it's a neutralizer to pride. It's actually a pride enabler. 
and I never saw that till just now. How is allegedly being humble pride? It's, it's not truth from the Father, because if the Father wants to give to you, truth just came. If I deny the truth because I'm just not worthy, I'm lying about the truth. But I'm pretending to be humble. So that's the reason why the precursor to false humility is humility. Based upon a view, a mindset. Your daddy can't look. When you get to heaven, we we are all going to be so shocked at how beautiful it is. And that it was made for us. Not for your family, even though your family is involved, you. If there was one person on the earth, God would have made heaven for the one person. Opulence, more than enough, abundance. But listen, if you're not careful, you judge people with this opulence. I told them there and I've told y'all here, stop hating on rich people. Stop hating on people who look different than you. Because if you do, and then in your heart, your soul begins to speak, your soul won't let you become that. Yet you're standing in the need of prayer. And you just are praying and are rebuking, and you are your own hindrance. You have to pay attention to what you don't like. Please get this revelation. Because sometimes we, we, we stake, like, put stakes in the ground. I, I hate a lie. I hate a lie. But what about hating on people? That's a problem. The fact that you even hate anybody is a problem. You think the liar is a problem. It's hating as much as the liar. And the last time I checked, God reigns upon the just and the unjust. So if they are so unjust to you, why don't you reign on them like your daddy? Open your bosom and receive from him what you need to bless them with. Versus walking around looking some kind of way at folks. Like it's always somebody else. It can never be that person. It's always somebody else. See, the reality of how we have been framed up to to view concepts tells us how we view the kingdom. So if we view the kingdom through a false concept, then the kingdom cannot release the riches, the unusual, the good measure, pressed down, shake it together, and running over, because that's not your concept. But when I call Curly up here in a minute to take up the offering... He's going to share with you how things in the kingdom are happening for him. And I know that things in the kingdom are happening for you, but some of us still have the drag of the words, it's too good to be true. Because we have to guard ourselves, says the Lord nature, from the fall, because after all, you're having this happy time. We want to stay there, but you know good times don't last always. So whatever it is that's in your mindset about how you view things conceptually, That determines whether or not God's word can have a manifested place inside of your heart. And let me say this too. When we really understand that your, quote, bad times are God times. Yeah, yeah, I knew the amens would leave. Amen. Say that verse again, sweetheart. My wife, my darling, whom I missed. I was just glad to ride in the car with her today. I was. I'm telling you, it's only been two days, but it seems like 15. I don't know why, but anyway, proceed. I was just saying, God is at work, hope to will and to do for his good pleasure. And what is his good pleasure? His good pleasure is a lot of things. 
to include training you in the valley. So don't look at the valley as a place to run from. Stay in the valley as a place of preparation. Because when he brings you from the valley, you should be stronger. At the end of this fast, everybody in here ought to be stronger. I mean spiritually acute at a level almost to the point where you want to go back into one. I thought I'd get a two or three. Because in your, in your suppression, you know, it's interesting when Solomon, for example, said, it's better to, to, be, to have sorrow than to, than to be glad. And when you look at that again from the culture of America and the world, you got that backwards. Solomon says something else. He said, when babies are born, start crying. We do the opposite. We cry, we laugh when they get here. The Bible says when people pass, we're supposed to rejoice. So if it's the kingdom law that we're operating from, we're breaking them. We, we laugh when they get here, we should be crying. We cry when they leave, we should be laughing. Uh, we should find a way to get out of the earth curse system to recognize that our highest good, even down to why should we be sad? The point of being sad is contemplation. See, when things aren't going right, you contemplate. When things are going well, you ain't thinking about nothing. I'm having us a good time running around, running around. <laughs> having a good time now. In fact, I sat at the uh, gate, in, uh, headed, headed back, and I heard the sorrow behind me. And uh, there was a man in a wheelchair, uh, and I think three ladies, one sitting, two sitting, three there, two sitting, one standing. And uh, the more I listen, because you can tune things out. But again, in the kingdom, pay attention. So I began to listen, and, and I heard the anguish as I heard one of the women say, he's gone. And I knew at that point it was death. So I'm looking across from me to see what they're doing in relation to them. Anyone just turn around and do this. I did a couple times just to, you know, see if we're all right. Then I heard the gate agent help them and they then walked them off. And, and, and it's like these multiple worlds. They're in a world of sorrow, a great world of pain. We are all in a world, at least I'm in a world of just having left a wonderful time in God and getting ready to fly back home. And yet today, they're still in the sorrow of the world. Now, there's some contemplation in there. I don't know them, don't know what's going on with them. But I know that they did not open the part of that day up with the notion that sorrow would be a part of their day. So if we try to avoid sorrow like the plague, instead of finding God in the sorrow, when we find God in the sorrow, you find things you cannot find unless you're in that state. He doesn't abandon you in sorrow. He invites you into it. Did you, did, you, did you get? He invites you into sorrow. So what I got, and I shared this, and I'm going to end this here. Sitting in there talking to Minister Steve, actually on the way here with, uh, with my wife as we were driving. To me, even though I was just here Wednesday night, Wednesday night and Thursday night uh, with the Bible study and then the praise team, I thought when I was driving here, that I had been gone a whole week. It just seemed like it. It's like I hadn't seen these folks in a long time when I just saw y'all Sunday. But to me, just the change in leaving on a Friday to, here you go, disrupt my pattern. So I'm there doing what what I've already explained to you about. And now this morning I wake up and it's almost like, where am I? It's only been two days. 
So on the way to here, I'm thinking about, it's like I hadn't seen them in a long time. It was just last week. But I'm paying attention, right? So this is what, he, this is what I got. This is what he gave me. To flow in the spirit and to gain from the kingdom is to be accustomed to stability and instability at the same time. Here's the stability. It was only a week ago. Why is my perspective so different? Because I've been traveling and so engulfed in another world that it seems like I have been there longer. But when I come back, it's like it's still the same schedule. And so it gave me another snapshot of how God is. Because I want to know how he is. We have these conversations rather regularly. And I invite you, encourage you to have those same kind of thoughts. I want to know why God does what he does. You know, why do you think like that? Why, why did that work? Like, not questioning like you're wrong, but what made you do that? What made you do that? And it's partly because he wants the glory. He wants the acknowledgement of his greatness. He's a king, y'all. Kings don't want silence in their, in, their, in their courts. They want recognition. They want you to tell them what you think. It's a part of the weight of their glory. And since we are his glory, when we extol his greatness by giving him praise, it causes him to do something else. Are you understanding this? In other words, because some of you got caught up on that other thing I just said. He has to demonstrate how good he is. Which means he has to align circumstances where you can reasonably be taken out of the, of the process so that there's no way that deliverance can occur except through him. And then in awe, we should give him another level of praise. That's why in heaven, they keep saying holy, holy, holy. Because every time they go around that throne, they see another facet of what he now reveals and he's been revealing it without time. Agelessly, he keeps revealing himself. That's incredible to me. So here, here, is, here is the point. I think I wrote this, this, this part down. The way we see life is the way we see the kingdom. Say that, please. We conceptualize what we see. If our concept is right, our confidence causes release. If our concept is right, our confidence causes release. So let me just make that real plain. The way you conceptualize God determines where you set your concept of God. So say it again. The way you conceptualize God is the way you develop a concept where you place your confidence. I think God's like this, because this is how I see him. Since you see him this way, this is your concept, and this is where you have confidence. If your confidence is in the wrong concept, because you are not seeing the right thing, then you will live out the wrong thing, but you'll do it just fine, because your confidence is in the concept you accept. Here's an example. So God is the man upstairs to you. That is a false concept. But it is a true concept to you. So since you conceptualize that he is the man upstairs, your confidence is in the man upstairs. And you live your life that way. And God will let you and he will likely bless you. I mean, he's not going to pull it away because you don't know how to think. 
He's still going to bless you. But the level of your desire is connected to the rightness of your concept. So if your concept is off, the level that you accept is off. Because if you only accept him as the man upstairs, you probably never know intimacy with him. So intimacy is not afforded you because you have the wrong concept. Does that make sense? So in the kingdom, the king actually does stuff all the time. But if you don't feel worthy because that's your concept, then your concept ultimately is formed that gives you confidence and your confidence that I'm just fine right where I am. I don't need a lot. I just want to be comfortable. There is not a verse that references that concept. But if that's our concept, that's our confidence. And our confidence will, con- will basically begin to reveal our words, our conversation, and the way we live life. Now, the reason I say that is because I have discovered this little, little sliver of what I think manifests God, how he is, and why he is, and what he is. And he's a lot more than I know, but I know this little sliver. One sliver I've been looking at for six months now is the concept of him knowing the future and living in the present without disrupting the future. To me, that's, that's a different kind of person. Jesus did that. Jesus is getting ready to get killed. Jesus is about to get crucified. They had to make a word up for the act. It was so gr- bruce, brutal and gruesome. And yet he's having dinner. I don't want to know how to do that. I really don't. He's about to get betrayed by the only humans on the planet that are close to him outside of his mother Mary and a few others. And he's sitting there telling him, do it. With no attitude. He's so strong in who he is. He can let you be who you are and it adversely affects him and he's fine. To me, there's something in that. I don't want to know the level of that. I just know it makes me worship him and praise him more because he's that. So that's one of them. I still haven't finished it all, but it's like, wow, I just worship you for being that. The other one is the one I'm telling you now, which is this. How is it that God can be so... What's the word? What did you give me? How can it be that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? That's, that's, that's done. Right? But yet, our personal experience finds him so different. In different times of your life, in different times of the day, he's so different. How can he be so different all the time? Jesus didn't do the same miracle once. Not once. How can he be this and that? How can you be the same and be so changeable, so different? And then I stepped outside of that and saw me in the car driving with my wife. And it began to dawn on me. You are going through, here you go, a disruption. Everybody say, I enjoy disruptions. Now, you know that's a faith statement. Because most of us want stability, right? We want normal, whatever normal is to you, right? We don't want to vacillate too much, a little bit, and then get back, get back now, come on. It's called normalcy bias. 
That's what the psychologists call it, normalcy bias. When they saw the Twin Towers fall, the, the, the people walking in dust were completely disoriented, disrupted, and normalcy bias kicked in. That didn't just happen. That just, that, what's happening here? That didn't just happen. Because our lower nature wants to get back to what it can control. Okay? So, I'm noticing that the change is the only disruptor. The time is the same. Nothing changed between Sunday to Sunday in terms of time. It remained the same. What changed was my pattern. Since my pattern changed, I'm thinking the time changed. The time hadn't changed, the pattern changed. Okay, leave that in place and just look at that. Because that's where you're going to find some of what God does. He's the same like time. It continues. But because he does so many different things, he's not being the same, though he is the same. He's steady in righteousness, peace, joy, righteousness, all that comes from even the book of Revelation, which we're going to read here in a minute. He's all those things that doesn't change. What changes is his actions. 